What's up, guys? Welcome back to another daily Bible reading snapshot. Today we're looking at Genesis 41 here in the Old Testament and then Matthew 13 in the New Testament. Now, Genesis 41, we're only looking at one chapter, but it's lengthy and it's a lot of history because if you think about it, everything changes here in Genesis 41. At the beginning of the chapter, it says, after two years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. So two years after Joseph interprets the baker's and the cupbearer's dream, He's still in prison, but Pharaoh has a dream that he can't have interpreted. And he needs someone from God to do it because this dream comes from God. And it says that after two years, Joseph's still in prison. The cupbearer remembers that Joseph did this. He remembers that he got his dream interpreted after the whole scene of Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh calls Joseph, okay, get this guy. Gets him out of prison. He says, interesting, he shaves and he puts on new clothes. You can imagine how long and scraggly his beard got when he was in prison for so long. But then it says that Joseph reveals the truth, but he says it's God who revealed it. He doesn't take credit for it. Here in verse 25, Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. And here was the dream. He says, the interpretation is seven years of good, seven years of awesome harvests, tons of excess, just ten, seven prosperous years. But then there's going to be seven years of famine that are really bad, not just covering the land of Egypt, but covering the whole world. And you have to remember, how do famines come about? Where does that take place? Well, in the Nile, right? You got the, the water comes from the Nile and it overflows the banks and then all that stuff. But where does the water come from, right? If you know your geography, it comes from those mountains up in like Ethiopia and then it flows down. So if there's a famine in the whole land, what probably happens is a drought. It probably doesn't rain in the whole region as it usually does, which means the water is less, which means the, the food is less. That's probably what's going on here. So seven years of great harvests, everything's normal, but then it says seven years of bad stuff. And then after Pharaoh hears this interpretation and he basically asks the question, well, who should manage all this stuff? And Joseph says, you should have someone manage in in create big storehouses for the next seven years because you're going to have a ton of stuff and then just store it up and then just give it out little by little and sell it to people. Um, you could use it to trade and, and buy different pieces of land. When you have the grain and everyone else doesn't, you're going to be in the position of authority there. So Pharaoh says, who else am I going to have do this other than you? You're the one that knows this, Joseph. So you're going to be in charge of this. So God has given Joseph everything after he's given him nothing. So it's just interesting how there's such a vast difference between the beginning of chapter 41 and the end of chapter 41. I mean, think about it. Beginning of chapter 41, Joseph is in prison. And by the end, it says the world is coming to Joseph. People from all over the place are coming to buy food from Joseph. He started out as a guy in prison. Now he's like the ruler right next to Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. Now, what do we learn from this? One thing I think we learned that we need to be faithful to God wherever we are. We need to be faithful to God wherever we are, whether we're in prison or whether we're at the right hand of Pharaoh. We need to do what's right for God and God will take care of the rest. We can't worry about where we're at in life. If we're doing what God wants us to do, we need to be content with where God has put us. So it says here that Joseph is blessed by God in amazing ways because he does the, the righteous thing. Which remember, this all started out by him choosing to run away from temptation in chapter 39, that's what put him in prison because he did the right thing. So he does the right thing. 
And then he does the right thing in prison. Then he does the right thing for Pharaoh. And he's just doing what God wants him to do wherever he is. So I think that's one big takeaway that we should take. And also take away the fact that God is in control and God is using Joseph. He put him in prison on purpose so that he could be with the cupbearer and the baker so that he could interpret that dream, so that he could interpret the dream for Pharaoh, so that he could be second in command, so that he could later on, what is going to happen here, is save God's people. God orchestrates the whole thing. God is in control. God is in charge. And he's using everything, whether it seems bad or good to Joseph at the time, he's using all of it for his plan. So God's sovereign. That's the other big thing we take away from Genesis chapter 41. So here in the New Testament, I said we're looking at an important chapter, Matthew chapter 13, because this is the chapter where the parables start. Now, a lot of us think of parables as nice stories that are like cute and they're nice. And Jesus tells them to, to help us understand things. I want you to realize that as you read today, Matthew 13 will say, Jesus says in Matthew 13, the exact opposite. He's not telling stories to make it easier to understand. He's actually telling stories to make it harder to understand. Now, that seems a little interesting and odd, but he says here, he tells these parables. Remember what happened yesterday in the reading. Jesus is accused of working for Satan. So now it says he withdrew and he's just going to tell parables now. Just he basically tells everything in parables to hide the truth from people who don't believe. It says, he tells the first parable is the parable of the four soils. Really, in my Bible, it says the parable of the sower, which means the person who spreads the seed. And Jesus explains that that's him. That's the one spreading the word. He's going to be spreading the seed, so to speak. So he says there's four different kinds of seed or four different kinds of soil. Actually, one type of seed. The one seed is the word of God. Four types of soil. One is the path where it never breaks through. The seed never even gets in the ground. The second, it says, is the rocky ground, which is not like um, soil and rocks mixed in. It's like a thin level of soil with a rock bed underneath. So it's really shallow soil. That's what the rocky soil is. Then the soil where seeds are grown among the thorns. So when something grows up, it gets choked out. The point is none of these soils are going to make it. None of the seed is going to penetrate in any of these soils and do the fruitful work that it needs to, except for the last one, the good soil that's been prepared rightly. Which remember, soil rarely, think about this, soil is rarely good on its own. It needs to be prepared. That's why people drive the big plows, right? And you can imagine the hard soil getting broken up and the lines being put into the ground so that they could put seed in the ground. The good soil is prepared, which tells us something about what we're going to learn. What are the soils? What is he talking about? Well, he says here that the soils represent our hearts when we receive the word. Are we going to receive it with faith like the good soil? Or are we going to receive it with excitement like the rocky soil and the thorny soil? Or are we going to totally reject it like the path? It's never even going to make a difference in our lives. So, that's the question for us. How are we going to receive it? Because the only people who really are saved, really truly born again and Christians are the fourth soil. The, the second and third soil look like they're saved. They receive the word and everybody thinks they're saved. But the problem is they don't endure so that they, they fall away. They fade away because of a various various different things here, whether it's the riches of the world or the persecution of the world, or whether it's the fact that they didn't really understand what they were getting into. I think the shallow soil teaches us that. The point is only the good soil will last. And the, the question for us is, are we the good soil? Have we responded to the word, not only with joy, like the rocky soil, but also with a willingness to be faithful to whatever God calls us to do. A, a full wholehearted trust in Jesus. 
That's the good soil. And it says when you're good soil, you will bear fruit. Some will bear fruit 30-fold. Some will bear fruit 60-fold. Others will bear fruit 100-fold. Um, that depends on how they apply themselves and even the, the gifting that God has given them. So that's the parable of the sower. But in between, Jesus gives the explanation that I mentioned earlier. In between um, the, the parable and the explanation, we see the purpose of the parables, that God would continue to shut the eyes and shut the ears of people who do not believe, and then the people that do believe that they would understand amazing truth through it. So that's the first parable. Second parable is the parable of the weeds, the idea that there's going to be two types of plants growing up in the field. One type is the good type, another type is the bad type, and they're going to grow up and God's going to let them grow up. So the problem is you can't say, I'm a Christian because I've been going to church for this long. You can't say that because this text says that there's a lot of people that will die in their churches who everyone will think are saved, but the truth is they're not. And it says those are the, the weeds. So they're going to grow up with the wheat. And it says that instead of God immediately separating them in this life, and actually the, the angel, so to speak, separating them. Instead of that, God says, I'm going to let them grow up together. And then after they've grown up together for a long time, then what they're going to do is they're going to separate. I'm going to separate them in the end. And that's the truth that some Christians um, and non-Christians exist in the same church for a long time, but they won't really be revealed as Christian and non-Christian until the very end when Jesus separates them. Then he says, one last parable here, the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed. It's tiny, it's small, but then it turns into this massive plant that covers everything. He says, that's what it's like with the kingdom of God. Although it's starting out small and it looks insignificant here with Jesus, it's going to cover the whole world. And we know that based on the promises of the Old Testament that we've read, that God is going to reign over the whole world through the man, Jesus, who's going to live a perfect life, then he's going to die, then he's going to rise again, then he's going to be seated at the right hand, and then he's going to come back. That's the thing we're waiting for, Jesus to come back to reign over his kingdom. So thanks for reading. We'll see you back tomorrow for another daily Bible reading snapshot.